not I'll type in. my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? It's becoming a human burrito, a plus or a minus. I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther Boardroom or Ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this show. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Yes! Welcome to Dragon 2023 and the American sci fi and a fantasy media track. For Black Flash, I'm Batman and the DCU panel. My name is Calvin Watts III. I'll be moderating a little bit about me. This is my second Dragon Con. I'm from Rhode Island, and my claim to fame, such as you can call it, um, I've been on an award-winning cable access show back in Rhode Island called Sci-Fi Journal, which has been on the air for about 27 years. Um, if you have any interest, if you look up Sci-Fi Journal, Sci-Fi Journal on YouTube, you can check it out. Um, let's introduce the other panelists, starting with Darren on my right. Hey everybody, I'm Darian Kennedy. Uh, my website is Doctor by Day, Novelist by Night. So during the week, I treat hypertension, diabetes, and hyperlipidemia as a primary care physician. And then I go home on evenings and Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and write fantasy novels. And then I come to Dragon Con and talk to awesome people like you. So <laughs> happy Sunday. Hey everybody, my name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm one of the co-hosts of a podcast called Supergirl Radio. So if you're interested in Supergirl, DC Comics, uh, even my adventures with Superman, we've been talking about that. Uh, we live stream on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on youtube.com slash podcast. So if you want to come share your thoughts, you can come hang out with us. But I've been podcasting about Supergirl since 2015 and uh, really love DC Comics and uh, the films of DC. So... Uh, check us out at supergirlradio.com or DCTV Podcast YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Jared Alford. Uh, run a company called Mini Comics. We do independent <laughs> publishing of comic books, fanzines, prose novels. I also have a segment on Facebook called Stupid Comics where we look back at old comics and just how absurd they could get, including some flash stuff. Uh, also, I have an uh, animated movie review cycle, Anime Anyway, and done, pretty much done every. Disney, uh, sorry, every DC animated movie. <laughs> Review that. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan Guthrie. I have been coming to Dragon Con since 98, I believe. Um, I am on a podcast called 42Cast where we discuss everything nerdy. And uh, I've been a DC fan since um, probably the first time uh, I got on a school bus. <laughs> okay, so two things before we get going. One, I apologize for my face. On Friday, I got into a fight with the Sith Lord, a Ninja Master, and a Pokemon trainer, and I won, but with not without some cost. So um, I was wearing an eye patch yesterday, and it, 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 my eye wasn't like 100%. And it's still not 100%, but it's a lot better, so I'm going as is. And I think we can all agree, um, there's going to be spoilers here. I assume you've all seen the movie. Okay. We're not going to... Shout out, Adam. <laughs> we are not going to be talking about Ezra Miller's personal issues here, of which there are many. We can, I think we can all agree that that definitely contributed to the poor box office performance in the movie. So we're just going to be discussing the movie itself, the pros and cons, what worked, what we did, and so forth. <coughs> okay, so let's start out with the, the opening sequence. 
which in my opinion was, was pretty good, but it definitely did have some issues. And we're going to talk about the CGI or how good and how bad, because it was definitely uneven throughout the movie. But what worked for you guys, what didn't work? So, um, Dan, we'll start with you. The main thing that worked for me in the opening, uh, in the opening thing is that the first movie called The Flash had The Flash using his powers for good. I would say 80% of the movie of the first cinematic outing of The Flash, The Flash did not have his powers. And maybe in a second or third movie that would be fine, but my biggest thing was I go to see The Flash. I want to see Barry Allen being The Flash for two hours. I don't want to nerf him for 80% of the movie. And I was like, that's what you do in the sequel or the third movie, maybe not in the first one. And I know you could say, well, he was in Justice League, but then we get into the whole DC strategy of we're going to go straight to Justice League and then do all this stuff as opposed to the MCU where you let everybody have their solo movies and then did your Avengers movie, which I think worked much, much better. But you, I mean, there's going to be a theme of <coughs> Darren's frustrated with DC always trying to skip to the good part but not doing the work necessary to get there. That's going to be a theme for the next hour. And I'll let somebody else talk now. Uh, for me, I think some of the things that worked uh, were the two berries. I thought they did a really good job of making me believe that there were actually two Ezra Millers in a scene. I thought a lot of that was handled really well. I thought um, the uh, the interplay between the two of them I thought was uh, great and believable. I, I also thought some of the direction was pretty good. There's a sequence towards the beginning where uh, the Flash has to <laughs> save some babies of questionable CGI quality. Um, <laughs> but I thought the uh, the thought process that went behind that, I, I appreciate how they had to think through, well, he's going to do this to get here, and he's going to have to do this to get over here. Um, that takes a lot of work. And so I really appreciate the the effort that went into that. Even the, the Chrono Bowl that you know, a lot of people have complained about the CGI there. There was a lot of thought that went into that. And so I, I think that, you know, I, I agree with the uh, the thought process that, you know, every movie is a miracle. So I try not to um, uh, disparage people too much. Uh, and I thought the Chrono Bowl stuff was extremely well th thought out. It was a really creative choice. And it was sort of trying to get away from the, I guess, the, the cosmic treadmill and all that. But, uh, but I thought some of that, even if it was, it, even if the CGI sort of took me out a little bit, um, the, the idea of it, I thought was really good. Um, the stuff that I, uh, didn't quite care for, uh, because I talk about Supergirl quite a bit and I've read almost every Supergirl comic, not all of them. Um, but, uh, the way they handled Supergirl was such a letdown for me. She had not been on the big screen in 40 years. Uh, we came off of a TV show that ran for six seasons that was uh, okay-ish. Uh, it, it was good for the first three seasons. The last three seasons were not so great. Um, but the uh, the show had really brought Supergirl back into the pop culture conversation. And so the first thing that they decided to do with her when they brought her back onto the big screen was kill her off over and over and over and over and over again. Um, so that was a real big <coughs> letdown for me, especially the way they handled uh, the uh, characterization of Supergirl. Um, there were there were articles that had come out before the movie where uh, I saw all these headlines that were uh, Sasha Kaje, female Superman, female Superman, female Superman. And I got so annoyed because I was like, Supergirl's her own character. She's not just a female Superman. And then when I watched the movie, I was like, 
oh no, she's female Superman. It was uh, <laughs> it was disappointing because her storyline was ripped from the New 52, which was based on Superman's story. And then she replaced Henry Cavill from Man of Steel. So she was taking the place of Superman in that story. And I was like, oh no, she's female Superman. Um, so that, that took me out of it quite a bit. Um, but uh, I tried to appreciate what was good about it and then um, uh, try to uh, uh, thoughtfully go through the, the criticisms of it. Hey, I think uh, what mostly worked was the, the, the fact that the original, it's almost like you, it's almost a legacy character kind of thing where you have the older Barry Allen trying to teach the younger Barry Allen to do it. The only problem was that the younger Barry Allen was basically a poly short clone. <laughs> the entire movie, even with super speed. Uh, and, pl and plus him trying to make sense of this whole completely different history that he's had to deal with. I think, I think they did a little better in the original Flashpoint uh, comic book, even though the animated film was pretty good. Agreed. But, uh, and, Oh, just, just including, just including uh, characters like that. That version of Supergirl, she's in the comics, but just barely. It's like they took a very min minor character and gave them, like you know, guest star billing. So, well, <laughs> yeah, the movie was delayed again and again and again, and I think you can kind of see that in, in the final product that we got. It, you know, tried to do ten different things all at once, and it succeeded in some areas and uh, failed. And others, um, I didn't hate the the new uh, Supergirl um, or this incarnation of Supergirl. Once I considered her, once I thought realized that she was an alternate version. Yeah, she, this was theoretically, if we still had the DC EU around, I was would assume that we'd get a different uh, one. So but, uh, hopefully the same actress. Um, but as far as Barry himself, uh, in, in the opening sequence, I mean, this movie. <coughs> Played around a lot with establishing rules, like oh, you know, Barry needs to eat; his metabolism is super crazy, and then it would kind of forget those rules. Um, it, among that's just you know one example, um, and I just think it's interesting. We've gone down the whole table, and, and you know, no one mentioned Michael Keaton or anything like that. So this well, that's coming. This coming. But I mean, this this movie was kind of like I, I would almost say it was a love letter, but that's. It's, it's kind of a painful love, um, you know, maybe not necessarily a healthy uh, relationship uh, for us, the fans, and for um, the DCEU. Yeah, I, I would say if the opening sequence for me, for the most part, it worked. Um, I didn't really have an issue with the CG, with the, the chrono bowl, for lack of a better term, just because of, of, of kind of what it is. It, it's kind of out in space and time. I, I could... I could kind of buy that, but you know, when he's like resting in the babies, which was a really good sequence, but the CD is, is just awful. That's when it's supposed to be more natural and more natural looking and they just failed completely. Um, if anything, this is gonna really regret the fact that Ben Affleck and Jeremy Irons are gonna have their own Batman movie because I really liked his performance as Batman and Jeremy Irons' Alfred is just outstanding. Okay, so Ezra Miller's performance, I thought, was really, really good. The fact that he had to play himself, plus a younger version of himself, like he was saying, it was like Paulie Shore. And there was a lot of humor in the movie, but they really pulled it off. And you could see at the beginning, um, when he they, he's considered himself the janitor of the Justice League. Um, you know, and he's kind of like down on himself, and he's still kind of like that loner guy and still having issues. And for somebody who's the fastest man alive, he's still chronically late to just about everything and I drive a school bus and I have some familiarity with that so 
how did you think, um, we'll start with um, Ryan. Ryan, about Ezra Miller's performance, did he pull it off? What did, did you like it, did you not like it? it that's tough to say, right? Because um, I always in the back of my mind is real life. Um, but trying to separate that and, and watching it and probably about halfway through, it, it was cyclical uh, because Prime Barry, uh, older Barry, whatever you call him, I kind of liked him. Yes, I, the performance was good, but yes, Polly Shore Barry was just great. Uh, and the fact that they're obviously the same person, same performances, I, you can't deny the talent, um, the ability to, to do that and to, to play off yourself. It, it works well, um, but it just it was hit or miss. I mean, it was just. I think if I had one more movie, I would settle into him as very out. Uh, basically, I, I think it, it did work. It, the one thing that they've been trying to do with Flash, and you see this over several different medias, DC has tried to make him their version of Spider-Man. He's like the, the blue-collar working man superhero. He's got a lot of amazing powers, but he never has any any time like a regular personal life or anything. <laughs> Always struggling to pay the rent and dealing with relationships and all that kind of thing. Uh, but I think, I think as far... I think the you're right. The older Ezra Miller, like the original one, he's probably the better one, and it's kind of interesting to see him take in a situation where he has to train a new someone else. It's almost it's almost like a kid flash thing, although uh, Wally West was never that annoying. <laughs> yeah, Ezra Miller's a great actor, um, and I I think for me, I really saw it, uh, especially in the scene where he goes back to uh, where Barry goes back to return the uh, tomato paste or whatever it was um and he has to say goodbye to his mother i thought that was probably the strongest scene in the whole film um and i thought that emotion really came through even without having to say much so uh for for all the problems that might be with the flash movie i don't think ezra's performances um were the problem um and i for me it's really interesting because the the flash movie is a good example of uh, the difference of a filmmaker um, you know, I, I, I'm a big Zack Snyder fan, so I've seen Ezra Mil Miller in other uh, films, uh, such as Zack Snyder's Justice League, and there's a, quite a bit of difference in how that version of The Flash is portrayed in that film versus the one in the Flash movie. Whether you think it's better or worse, it's just really interesting to see the difference that a director makes in terms of how that character is portrayed, because it's the same actor, it's just different writing in different directions. So um, I think it's a really interesting, for me anyway, a kind of a, a good example of seeing the differences in directorial and writing choices. So Ezra, I thought was great though. I'm gonna echo a lot of that. Um, I thought with what Ezra Miller was given on a script to write, to perform was on point because it was the, the older Barry and the younger Barry, and you got to make them different. And he was a little grading, I agree. Yeah. But, I think intentionally. But intention, and yeah. I think I think this thing. I'm gonna go Marvel for ten seconds and then come back. It's kind of like when you watch Thor Ragnarok and they injected humor and made the best of the three Thor movies, so they completely leaned into the humor and then wrecked the fourth one. This was the same exact experience for me. I thought Barry was just funny enough in Justice League that it was good, but then they really leaned into the humor. And I'm like, Plastic Man is the comic relief of Justice League, not The Flash. 
And I've said for years, that Flash right there, I read the Mark Wade run whenever Wally West was the Flash. And this is Wally West being called Barry Allen. It felt just like reading the Mark Wade stuff. And they got so funny in the Flash movie that I almost felt like I was reading Impulse from the 90s. And I'm mm -hmm. like, this is not Barry Allen. This, he's not... It's it's he's not this much of a goof, and the whole I have to eat calories thing that was whenever they rebooted the Flash in 1987 after Crisis on Infinite Earths, and Wally West was no longer attached to the Speed Force, or at least not in the same way, and needed to eat. But they fixed that, and so having it tied to calories, and you can only do that in the first scene, and then it doesn't matter for the rest of the movie when they're fighting Kryptonians, which we're going to get to in a little bit. Um, I was like, it was a very inconsistent choice. So I agree 100%. Ezra Miller's performance of what he was given, I thought was excellent, and I totally bought it. That's just not the movie that I wanted to see. And I'll stop. Well, uh, Darren, and touching about, and we'll talk about Marvel for a minute, I, I think we can all agree that one of the things, and probably the biggest thing that Marvel did right that got them to this point, is that, and I touched about this just in the fan service uh, panel that I did, Marvel took the time to take their secondary characters that, you know, a lot of fans who are comic books knew about, like Iron Man and Captain America and Thor, had their own movies and, and built up to the story. So when you got to the Avengers, it was all great. Now, DC has the fact that, you know, Superman is probably the most best known superhero, and then you got Batman there. But they just jumped from, like, A to D without having that B and C, and they could have really benefited from more of a slow burn. And that's really, that's, it was, I mean, there are so many things that was wrong with the DCEU, <coughs> but that started. Well, specifically for The Flash, he appeared in Suicide Squad, he was in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, he was also in Zack Snyder's Justice League. So it's not like he just appeared out of nowhere. He was, he was around for a pretty substantial amount of time. He has one of the best Ezra Miller's Flash in Zack Snyder's Justice League has one of the best Flash moments ever put to screen. Right. Um, so it's not and like the he, original or the Zack Snyder's Justice Snyder League, the, 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 Snyder the only version that should exist. <laughs> um, so, so to me, it's not that they didn't do any work. I think they definitely did the work. I mean, that to me, that's one of. I mean, I still get goosebumps even just thinking about that scene. Um, so I, I don't think that they didn't do the work for The Flash. You might be able to make that case for some other characters, but I think for The Flash, he was around so much. He had a lot of screen time. Um, so I think any problems that you attach maybe to uh, The Flash movie and his portrayal, in my opinion, <coughs> it, it's not because of not having enough time with him. I think, I mean, you know, we don't want to turn this into a Marvel vs. DC uh, panel. But it's just different approaches. I mean, Marvel took a, a build from the bottom up, DC took a build from the top down approach. And so I do think we were denied like the, the very origin story um, that, uh, do, do we need it? I mean, everyone in this room, no. It's but featured in the Flash movie though, just through the other Barry. Yeah, but that's, that's not the, I guess you would say the canonical uh, origin story. I mean, it's told, and maybe that's kind of a clever way to do it, to get around, oh, we're killing you know, Uncle Ben again. Uh, so in that sense, it's kind of original, but it's still not uh, not to the form that we're used. To, a lot of people are used to. Kind of depends on how you're doing, because like in uh, the first Spider Verse movie, it's like uh, people are like, oh man, I don't want to hear his origin story again. But we get not only his origin story, we got like about eight other Spider Heroes origins, and they they tell it briefly and very fast. But you kind of get the the major idea. And I think most people, at least with the Flash, they had a TV, at least two TV series that established that identity. So. 
they weren't all that blind going into it. Hopefully. Okay, so The Flash, the movie, is loosely based on the, the Flashpoint comic book. And for those of you who haven't read the comic book, uh, Thomas Wayne is alive in, in the timeline that you know Flash went back to save his mom. And it was replaced by Michael Keaton, which I, I thought was a really good choice. You could call it fan service or not. But for anybody who was around when the original Batman came out, and, and before then... There were no superhero movies. There was there was nothing, and you well, know what? Superman you movies. I apologize. Outside of Superman movies, but you know they started out great, but then you had Superman three, and then which was funny, <laughs> and then you had a Supergirl movie, which wasn't bad, and then you had Superman four, which we will not talk about. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I don't think even Christopher Reeve wanted to talk about Superman four. No, he, <laughs> and he wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, I, I, a funny story just to go off really quick. I remember reading about that and that he didn't want to do it, but the what they believe it was Glom Globus, uh, the the Jewish uh, the production, production team. He did the fourth movie. Yeah. yeah, and they they basically said they would. He wanted to do this independent movie, and they basically gave him the money to do and direct the independent movie if he would do Superman four. Right. And it was still a disaster. But um, Michael Keaton's performance and and how he fit into this movie, I thought was really great. What did you guys think? We'll start with Rebecca. Oh, uh, uh, I was a huge fan of Michael uh, Keaton's Batman. And I was nine years old when it came out and I begged my parents to go see it. It was PG-13, so that was, uh, I had to really convince them. So I'm a huge Michael Keaton Batman fan. He was my first Batman. I grew up on him, was a big fan of it. I love Batman Returns. I know some people don't like it, but it's probably my favorite uh, movie of his in terms of Batman. Um, So I appreciated that he came back and wanted to close out his time in the character. I don't know that some of the stuff at, for him worked for me. I really liked the scene where he first meets the berries and they have the fight sequence. I thought a lot of that was uh, good in terms of the choreography of that. Um, having to, to uh, suspend my disbelief that Batman would not have any kind of security uh, to his house <laughs> is something that I have to really uh, put aside. Um, but I thought that, um, that he, he really tried, I think Michael Keaton really tried to give it his all. And I think it was cool to see all the bat suits and everything. And the bat wing was really awesome in it. Um, but one of the things that took me out of the movie in terms of Michael Keaton's Batman was the moment when he jumps on Namek, who is the big giant Kryptonian. And I just leaned back in my movie theater seat and I went, come on, are you serious? Because Namek and Man of Steel jumped onto a plane, ripped the thing off the plane, grabbed the guy in it and squished his head. You can actually see the blood, it's really gross. But those Kryptonians are a real threat in Man of Steel. And to see Batman, who I love Batman, love him, would defend him in any other case, but to see Batman, who has no powers, jump on this giant Kryptonian. Now, granted, Batman does die after that whole sequence, so that makes sense. But it uh, it was it was tough for me to buy into that because it was so unbelievable that it was hard for me to get on board with that. But I thought the interplay between Bruce and the Berries I thought was really good, and they did a good job of trying to establish that. It was just some of the action bits. Uh, with Batman towards the end, that sort of fell apart for me. All right, Darren. My comment is almost exactly the same. <laughs> Michael Keaton's performance of what he was given was good, and I, I heart Michael Keaton. I too 
went to the theater with my buddies Andy and Mark way back in 1989 when I was a senior in high school and I was excited and we had the Batman t-shirts and everything and went to go see the show and it was awesome. If we're in a, if we're in the Michael Keaton Batman world, he's really, really good at fighting a clown and a mutant penguin and a person with a freeze gun. But putting him, I mean, we established that one Kryptonian in Zack Snyder's Justice League, we established that one Kryptonian can take down the entire Justice League. I mean, literally, Barry is running at him and he's watching him. He's even faster than the Flash. So we've established that Kryptonians can destroy everybody else. And now there's an entire army of them, not just Kal-El. There's an entire army of them and there's three of them. And we think there's even going to be like an, a chance that they're going to win. And I, I was like, no. Um, but for me, though, I want to go strangle the writers on this one. You have two time travelers and a dude who's been living in his kitchen for the last 10 years. And who explains time travel to who? I'm like, what is happening? Like, can you imagine the Bruce Wayne from the 1989 Batman movie knowing anything about time travel? I mean, he might know it from like reading a book or something, but he's literally talking to two people who just time traveled. And he's, it was, it was Batman explaining. I actually buy that though. That Bruce Wayne is a highly intelligent character, and he had a lot of time clearly on his hands. Um, so I time travel. I totally buy that he has studied all of the science and all the theoretical physics or whatever you studied. That now that I actually buy that he would have studied that. I don't buy it at all. <laughs> I, I, I felt like he was explaining to Tony Stark how to make Iron Man armor, and Tony Stark was like, uh huh. Uh huh. My suit flies. Does yours? No. Have a nice day. Um, so I, I totally that that took me completely out of the movie. I'm like, this is crap. You just wanted to make. You just had a beard and were fighting with a mop. Leave me alone. So, uh, Love Keaton hated what they uh, what, what hated that part. Once they got him back in the bath. The other thing is like, is he still working out and staying in bat shape? Because I'm like, why? And I never, and, and also, I thought the whole point of Gotham was that Gotham is unfixable. And Batman is doing, Batman is the caulk. And every time there's a new leak, he's like trying to fix it. But Gotham is unfixable. And so you go to this place where everything is crap except for Gotham. Gotham is suddenly this like thing. And like Batman doesn't need to exist anymore. And I'm like, did Batman finally say, I'm just going to kill them all? Because that is the only solution to Gotham. And, and, and if so, that movie's really, really dark. Because you, it's like, I killed Joker, I killed Riddler, I killed Penguin. Because that's the only way. Because otherwise, how is Gotham this paradise now? So, yeah, a lot of, the, a lot of what they wrote for Michael Keaton did not work for me. Uh, I kind of think what, uh, when they're, they're replacing uh, Michael Keaton with the uh, Thomas Wayne, it's a little different because that Thomas Wayne had been working for like the last three or four decades just being Batman and trying to avenge his son's death and whatnot. Um, this was also, it's hard to tell whether or not Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are in the same continuity as Batman and Batman Returns, because if, if it's the same Michael Keaton from those ones, he hasn't exactly run across all that kind of weird, fantastical, uh, like brain-sucking TV boxes and you know ice guns <laughs> and stuff. Um, if and if he had somehow was able to manage to clean up Gotham, like that's that's one of the few situations because normally even even in Dark Knight Returns, when 
when Batman retired for 10 years, some whole new group of punks end up taking over the town. Uh, I kind of think like during this time, this time off, it was, it was similar to what they did with in uh, Dark Knight Rises, where it's like eight years later and he hasn't really, he's just been hanging out in his mansion uh, that whole time. And then like the next day afterwards, he's, he's going to have a fight with Bane. <laughs> he gets, he gets, he gets crippled from that. But so. It's interesting. I think I'm kind of uh, in the minority here because I actually thought uh, Keaton's Batman was one of the better parts of this movie. There's a, there is a, for what's worth, there's a deleted scene um, where the two Barrys are talking to each other, wondering, how does this guy know so much about time travel? You know, where did he learn this? And they allude to the fact that he probably studied time travel to save someone he loved. The idea being, you know, maybe after Bruce retired, that his plan was to create a time machine and go back and save someone. And his parents, yeah. probably. Yeah, exactly. That would have been an important scene to leave in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, but, um, which kind of would make sense. Uh, I could totally see Bruce doing that. But uh, I feel like this was, you know, stunt casting. It, it was, you know, kind of a gimmick, but I felt like it worked. Um, I, I feel like this was supposed to be like the beginning of a key resurgence in the DC EU. We were supposed to get Batgirl. Uh, who knows what would have been next. Um, but I feel like the thing about Michael Keaton is I felt like he, he, he jumped back into the role. It, he, he was back in the 80s and he was living that moment, maybe from when he never got to be in the third uh, Batman movie. And there's, um, if you look at it, if you look at his hermitage, I think it makes sense, uh, this, this despair that this man has. It, it touches on the relationship, probably the most important relationship Batman has, which is with Alfred. Because we did not see his actor, because obviously the actor has passed, mm. although it hasn't stopped them later on in the movie. Um, <laughs> but so this is what Bruce becomes when he's left truly alone, when his when his you know true father uh, his is conscience. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I thought that was if you look at it in that light, I thought it was just really actually very moving. <laughs> All right, Ryan, we're going to stay with you for the next question because you have brought up uh, the Kryptonians, and we were going to get to them. So. Michael Shannon is an excellent actor, and I, and I do like the fact that if they were going to have Kryptonians as the initial primary antagonist of the movie, having him back as General Zod was not a bad thing. But how did the Kryptonians work in this movie? Was it necessary? Could they have done something else? Did you like it? Did you not like it? I thought it's... Yeah, it was fine. I don't know uh, what iteration of the script this was. I don't know if they were ever going to do Reverse Flash. Or, or you know, stay more to a, a flashpoint um, storyline. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like uh, no offense to Terrence Stamp, but I feel like uh, Michael Shannon is the best Zod uh, we've had. Um, so I was glad to see him back. Uh, but I kind of got, 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 got to agree they were nerfed. You know, it, it shouldn't. It, even at that, they still couldn't win. You know, so yeah, it just goes to show. Um, that without Superman, or even, I don't know where he was, a Martian Manhunter, uh, that they don't, even Flash doesn't, no one stands a chance. I feel like, um, I don't know, I'll watch Michael Shannon and just about anything. Like, I think, I, the problem, the thing is though with the Kryptonians, they are just now coming to Earth and they're only just now realizing what they can do, so most of them are just doing the actual leaping tall buildings and hardly any of them are flying. They don't really know how to use heat vision or anything. And they, they're just now realizing they're that much stronger and faster than anybody else. So plus I think they rely a lot more on their, their technology to, to win the battle than anything else. 
I think it worked in terms of an alternate timeline. If you were going to show something within the, the DCEU uh, to have something be different in terms of time travel, you could go back to something that's already happened and show something different about it. Uh, for me, as having been such a fan of Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice and Zack Snyder's Justice League and, and the Wonder Woman from 2017 and all that kind of stuff, I felt it was um, actually kind of disrespectful what they did um, because they basically took another creator's film and then tried to trash it in a way. And this is just my opinion. This is kind of how I saw it to where I think the initial... Um, idea behind it was they wanted to end the Snyderverse. So the way that they wanted to do that was to kill Henry Cavill as a baby, Henry Cavill Superman as a baby. And I thought, wow, that's dark um, and infanticide, uh, essentially. And um, so uh, it's funny, uh, Zack Snyder is critiqued as being like this dark and gritty guy. And I'm like, well, he never killed a baby. <laughs> um, so there's that. So um, I actually... As a, as a creative person myself, I found that kind of disrespectful to take somebody else's film <coughs> and do something worse. I hate to say that, um, but I, I didn't quite care for the way that they handled that. I, I like the idea of the alternate timeline and showing something that you're familiar with, but taking a different spin on it. Um, but the, the killing Kal-El as a baby, I thought, was going a little too far. Um, the... Uh, the Kryptonians, I think, could have been more of a threat. And I kind of, I think somebody mentioned Reverse Flash. I, I, it was kind of a strange choice also to have the Flash movie feature Superman villains. Um, and it was actually highly Superman-centric, which I don't mind. I'm, I'm Supergirl, Superman all day, all night. Um, but like even in the Crisis stuff, it was all... I think George Reeves Superman was in there, Christopher Reeves Superman, Helen Slater Supergirl, Nick Cage. So it was very Superman heavy. It was kind of strange. At least it, it was a parallel universe, so Captain Boomerang still might have been around. Possibly. <laughs> right? He's like the only villain they've added, isn't he? Yeah, so I thought that I, some, like, there was um, a, a sequence that I think was actually done pretty well, which was <coughs> Barry in Metropolis during the Black Zero event when um, he saves uh, a little kid um, from like the world engine and all that stuff that was happening. I thought that was actually kind of interesting in terms of showing Barry having to figure out how to dive into this world where Kryptonians and Kryptonian technology exists. I thought that was actually a really great sequence, but I think some of the choices with the Kryptonians and uh, the Supergirl stuff I could go on and on and on about because she didn't feel very Supergirl to me, to be honest. Um, so some of the Kryptonian stuff I thought could have been handled better. That's almost exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. As I'm watching this movie, I'm trying to figure, I mean, with a few edits, you call you can almost call this movie Supergirl. It's a... I arrived on Earth, I got depowered, I was rescued by another superhero, I got my powers up, and now I'm facing all my fellow Kryptonians who are bad and I'm the only good one, except for we already watched that movie, it's called Man of Steel. <laughs> and so, I, I, like, I don't want to watch Man of Steel again, and I'm not even sure if Reverse Flash, I know the Reverse Flash was in the original Flashpoint story, but I'm like, it's, it's the same thing. We're, we're watching the first time The Flash has his own movie. He doesn't have his powers for 75 to 80% of the movie. There are no Flash villains in it other than himself. And I'm like, this is not a Flash movie. 
all, again, it's, it's, it's DC trying to skip to the good part. They want everything to be everybody. So it's got Wonder Woman, it's got Batman. I just wanted to watch The Flash beat up Captain Cold. That's, I mean, I, I loved this, at least for the first several seasons. Um, I loved this. I, that's what I want to see. And when I got finally get a Flash movie, I want to go see The Flash. And I watched a Superman slash Supergirl movie with The Flash as a side character with no powers in his own first movie. And I'm like, what is happening? So, mm-hmm. enough said. It actually came out recently that the reverse Flash was going to have a greater impact on the DCEU. There was going to be its whole build-up to Darkseid and Apocalypse, and reverse Flash was going to be kind of manipulating things in the background. And uh, I'm unfortunately, we didn't get that, but I think he would have played a bigger part. Check this out. Not, not to keep jumping into Marvel, what if you take the Avengers movie and take Loki, replace him with reverse Flash, and take the Chitauri and replace them with the Kryptonians and do that movie? I'd watch that. That would be fun. And then you have a Flash villain in, I don't know, the Flash movie. That would be kind of cool. I'd watch that. It's like, I mean, it is a Flash movie, but it's a second or third Flash movie. You know, it's this should have been like the the sequel or the third in a trilogy where right. you start going crazy. Yeah, you, yeah. you, you, you similar to Black Widow too. I mean, they came out with her own movie like after she had already died in the movie. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the reverse Flash or Dark Flash, which, as, as we all know, turned out to be the younger Paulie Shore, Barry Allen. Um, for the movie itself, I, I think it worked. It, w- it was definitely different, but was it the right choice? Jay, we'll stop with you. Uh, I, I think it would have worked, but if they had time to do it out, because the because trying to explain the reverse Flash is he's not just he's not just Bizarro Flash. He's he's like he's like literally his rival from the future, and he's come back to just completely mess up uh, Barry Allen's life. Even even when he was a kid, there was like all these several points in his life where he just he just did little things to him, like made one of his friends go away and everything. <laughs> uh, obviously, obviously he's the one who killed his mother in the uh, in the Flashpoint storyline. But uh, I think in this one, it, it, you and you knew that that the, the the I think they call him the the Black Flash because he's like the the, the death Dark character. Dark Flash, maybe. Yeah, he's like, like yeah, he's like he's like the uh, he's the Grim Reaper of speedsters in DC. Uh, to ha- to replace him with a version, a future version of of uh, Polly Shore Flash, um, who's you think after you think after like trying to go through this entire loop. God knows how many times, you know, I, I, we don't even know if, if he's aged at all during that thing. It's like, you think sometime you know, he was t- took a break and you're like, hey, maybe I should try something else because I've tried every possible way of winning this battle. It's kind of like a video game. It's like you try and keep using the same strategy for the same battle, but it never works. So, Yeah, I mean, he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't very bright. He, the ability to travel through time, I just feel like he didn't try everything he could try. But uh, I feel like DC, and it's not just the DCEU, this has been true in CW, but they really only have, like, they have a go-to. We have a villain, we need to make them look like a monster villain scary look. So we're going to just add a lot of jagged pieces to them uh, all over. And yeah, I mean, he looked like Savitar, he looked like, you know, Doomsday. It just, uh, appearance-wise, I wasn't impressed with how he looked. I feel like the biggest problem problem with him, I, I, it was a good twist, I, A for effort. But the problem with having uh, going with kind of a dark flash as opposed to a reverse flash is ultimately at the end of the movie when Barry you know has to 
you know, let his mother uh, die is suddenly we're left with, well, who killed her? You know, I mean, it, it, was this just a random crime? You know, someone just walked, because obviously the reverse flash didn't, and, or maybe he did, uh, but uh, Dark Barry, I'm gonna assume, didn't kill his mother. Um, so it just, I, I, that's what left kind of a bad taste uh, with me at the end of the movie. It was like, yeah, he freed his father, but you know what, there's still a murderer out there. Yeah. I mean, he, he could have at the very least let his mother die and then catch him coming out of the house or something like that. Because his mother was killed in a two-minute window. And what what happened there? And it he was able to alter the timeline so his father's image showed up on the convenience store yeah. camera, but he couldn't just go back in time, take a picture of the guy killing yeah, exactly. <laughs> And he didn't seem all that concerned that the case was un- still unsolved. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, is, yeah, a, that is a good point. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, so we were talking about the villain. So I think the uh, the setup was pretty good, where, the way they teased him, like coming through uh, bits of time to where you, s- you saw him kind of at the beginning and then it sort of reveals itself later on. I thought that was handled really well. Um, but the thing that I think, to your point about him looking like Savitar, that was one of the things when I went to go see it with a friend of mine, we came out of the film going like, was that Savitar? Was that supposed to be Black Flash? Who was that supposed to be? And then I didn't even know what the character was called until I saw the name on like a Funko Pop. And I was like, that seems like a problem where I don't know the name of the bad guy who killed Supergirl like 11 times. Uh, well, I guess he didn't kill her, but the, he created the, the looping effect of uh, Supergirl. They pretty much came up with their own character yeah. in this movie like which is to, which he's is like to, super shredder with super speed yeah so. which is totally fine and I'm, I'm okay with that i just was very confused about the villain for a good portion of it and what i what i thought going into it um which i thought would have been really cool um the trailer showed the the poly shoreberry which is what we've been calling him wearing like this yellow pullover and going into the film i thought he was going to be revealed as the reverse flash because he had had all that yellow on and i thought what a cool idea that barry goes to this alternate timeline where he then uh because he needs his powers returned to him he creates the reverse flash through this similar process that happened to him in his own origin and uh because maybe the timeline stuff still happens and uh, he can't save uh, Supergirl and Batman. Somehow that creates a situation where he creates Reverse Flash, and that ends up, you know, killing his mother and all that kind of stuff. I thought that would have actually been a pretty cool twist to have this alternate Barry become the Reverse Flash, but that didn't end up happening. So I was just very confused about the whole thing. Um, but uh, but I think in terms of the way they did it, it made sense and it worked. Um, but I. I was just uh, unclear who it was when I initially got out of the film. I thought season three of the TV show did that better. <laughs> well, enough said. <laughs> okay, so the, we, they had a sequence where they're they're trying to finally figure out that they can't fix things, and you're seeing the worlds collide. And we, we touched about this briefly in the, the fan service thing yesterday. You had all these superhero cameos. Um, I'm just gonna throw out it's the Flash movie. And you, if you, the only flash that you had in there was a uh, Jay Garrick was like the casting director's like son, and it wasn't even like the Jay Garrick from, you know, the Flash TV series. It wasn't John Wesley Shipp from the original Flash TV series. Never mind Grant Gustin. So just looking at that, that was wrong. But uh, the cameos, did it work for you? Did it not work? Um, 
did you like who they put in there? Should they have not done it? Because you have some actors that went in there that are no longer with us. Mm -hmm. What do you think? We'll start with Darren and work our way down. I know I'm the biggest downer on a Sunday morning. Y'all are really <laughs> um, Again, lots of Superman stuff in the Flash movie. And you just said what I was going to say. Like, where, I mean, there's a Flash TV show. Where is that guy? Where There is another Flash TV show. Where is that? There is a Jay Garrick on that. Where is that? I want to see all that. I don't need to see Christopher Reeve and Helen Slater. I don't, I mean, this is the, this is the Flash movie. Why is it not a, why is it not a Flash movie? Um, and are we are we going to talk about the, the the Batman flip at the end? Because that's also a yes, cameo. That's going to be the last. I, I I I don't want to jump ahead. I figured that's where you were going, yeah. so I'll, I'll save my comments on that for just a moment. It was cool. I mean, I it, it was neat. And if it had been sort of e- equal, you know, we get to see a, we we got to see some of the Batmans and stuff. I liked all the cameos on the um, CW's Crisis on Infinite Earths and seeing Burt Ward walking down the street, literally Burt Ward and all that stuff. Again, I'm a big CW guy, so um, I like I like that universe better than the D- DC <coughs> EU um, overall. As you can probably tell by now. Yeah, the uh, butterfly effect I think is what they were going for. That he would mess with time so much that it would create these ripples in time that would eventually cause a you know crisis that would happen that would mess with all these worlds. And so I think you can make a case for that story-wise, but I also think you don't need it. Um, I think you could just have him failing to uh, solve the problem, and then that would have been uh, just fine enough. Um, I will say I did love the Nicolas Cage uh, Superman, just because it was interesting to see they actually did that giant spider, which was funny, but you have to know the story behind that. If you don't know the story, go to YouTube, look up uh, Kevin Smith's Superman Lives talk. It I won't spoil it for you. It has the greatest ending. Um, it's hilarious. Uh, make sure you watch Wild Wild West before you watch that, though. Um, so it's a, it's a great talk. Um, so you have to understand the story of Nicolas Cage and the Superman Lives movie that never happened uh, to understand that reference. So that was kind of a deep cut. So if you were like my mom who went to go see the movie, she had no idea what that was. So it would be very confusing. Um, so I think that it was very ambitious. It it was kind of cool looking with all the different colors and the, the worlds and the, uh, the imagination of what that would look like if you were trying to realize that. Um, but some of the, uh, the recreations of those characters I didn't think quite worked. Um, I know what Helen Slater looks like. I've seen the Supergirl, the movie uh, uh, version of Supergirl many, many times. I will defend that movie even. Um, I did not think that looked like Helen Slater, um, which is weird because Helen Slater is still with us and you could still use her image. Um, the, The only one that actually looked like him was Christopher Reeve. And I know that's kind of a controversial uh, thing about using him since he's no longer with us. But um, I just think it would have worked better if it had been the various flashes. Um, uh, I think that would have been more understandable to the audience, especially if like you didn't know about DC Comics and all these deep cuts in the lore. If you had gotten, you would know who the Flash was because you would see that his Flash emblem on his chest. So you would know that, oh, those are different Flashes. Um, so I think it would have worked better if it had been uh, various flashes, uh, just because I think it would have made it easier to consume for the general public. 
I think most of the, the so, some of the cameos work, although I think maybe their segments one or two long. Obviously, it's not really Nicolas Cage fighting a spider. They show him like twice during that whole thing. And it, it could have been like 10 seconds at best. Uh, just in completely ignoring any of the other uh, DC characters who have been in media. I mean, you could, you've got to have something. They briefly kind of hint on the 66 Batman. Uh, you think they could have had like Linda Carter do something. Have, I think they, they could have Shaq as steel for crying out loud. They, I think they did talk about Linda putting Linda Carter's Wonder Woman in there, but they didn't ultimately. Yeah, unless unless they're saving her to be whoever she is in Wonder Woman three, if they ever make that. But uh, I think uh, it 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 was more. It was it's hard to tell if it's kind of like a like a an homage to previous DC stuff or. Uh, just a clip show of things that they they would have done. It's, I think they should have incorporated a little more from stuff like the Arrowverse and whatever. Because Ezra Miller showed up on their thing briefly, so they could have some like out of the six seven shows they have on that thing, they could have had at least one kind of person show up. <clears throat> yeah, uh, pretty much all of that. Um, I did. I, it was it was fan service. Uh, I I was you know clocking everyone I saw I saw. Batman, 66 Batman running with a bomb, you know, um, it, in that sense is fun. Uh, I, Christopher Reeve did make me a little uncomfortable seeing him, but then I read later that his family was on board with it, so if, if they're fine with it, I'm fine with it, who am I, you know? Um, and uh, yes, I was looking for Linda Carter. The fact that we had uh, Gal in it as Wonder Woman didn't have Linda Carter, just, it was unforgivable. But uh, all that aside, I'm sorry, but yeah, Nicholas Cage as Superman. For that alone, it, uh, that was worth my ticket price right there. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, it's one of those things that looks good when you see it in the theater, but when you see it like a couple years later, it's like, oh man, I'm tired of seeing. It. Oh, I mean, yeah. If, if, if it had, if the Nicholas Cage movie had come out when it was supposed to, I would have hated it. But now, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the ending. This is gonna be a last question before. We throw it out to the audience. So this was originally supposed to be a soft reboot of the DCEU before everything fell apart and James Kung basically came in and took over. So now it was supposed to be a reboot that was supposed to lead into the DCU. And then you had the cameo with George Clooney stepping in at the end as being like the Bruce Wayne. So did it work? Do you think they accomplished what they were trying to? Or this is just going to end up being a standalone movie and Gunn better pull a rabbit out of his hat if he's going to save DC movies after you know it will start with uh, Darren and work our way down so the whole I, I sort of talked at the beginning how I didn't really like in general the Flash being used as the joke of the DC universe and so we get to the end and like you just said it's supposed to be the launch sort of for we're going to take it in a completely different direction so you have a movie where somebody messed with the timeline and then broke it and then sort of fixed it, but now it's going to be different. And you can have your final scene and your post-credit scene be the the Nick Fury and Tony Stark one. What do you think about the Avengers? And you're like, oh my gosh, we're starting something new and this is going to be kind of cool. And instead, what you do is you, you make it to where there will never be a Ben Affleck Batman again and there's a George Clooney Batman for five seconds, but we're never ever going to make those movies. And then instead of doing something useful and cool, with your post-credit scene that hints at the future, you have Aquaman drunk falling in a puddle. And I'm like, I mean, you've heard of the whole thing, the universe will not end with a bang, but with a whimper. Mm -hmm. As I walked out, I'm like, the DC universe is not ending with a bang, but with a whimper. 
and it made me very, very sad. I was like, it was not only a joke, it was a joke that wasn't funny. And it pissed me off. It made Aquaman a joke again. Yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're not going to just make Barry a joke. Because, I mean, good Lord, the first time you see Aquaman in this, he's on a rock and there's like a 400,000 foot wave behind him. And he's like, you're like, you made Aquaman not a joke. He's cool. He's a drunk guy that falls in a puddle. I was like, you're going to mess up as much as you can. So I was like... And so what it really, really felt like to me as I walked out is like, we have already established that the DCEU is a broken toy. So if it's already a broken toy, then we're going to hit it with the hammer a few times before we finally throw it in the trash can. And I was like, I just paid good money for this. I want a good movie. And I was mad. That's why I wanted to be on this panel. (laughs) To come and tell y'all how upset I was. That's fair. Um, I, uh, I think the original... A plan for it. I mean, this has recently come come out in terms of the reverse flash and all that kind of stuff. But the the plan for the DCEU, they actually, you know, love or hate Zack Snyder all you want. But there was actually a plan that he and uh, some folks had crafted, and it was always going to end with a flashpoint to reset the universe so that other people could come in and play with these characters. Um, so I don't have a problem with the flashpoint of it all. But the the thing I have a problem with. In Flashpoint in general, and this was a case in the CW version of Flashpoint, is that it was very strange to me that Barry uh, changes time and it goes from Ben Affleck to George Clooney, and then he never seems concerned that his friend Ben Affleck is no longer around. I that's is very strange to me. If I had gotten attached to somebody and had a really good friend who I had some emotional deep connections with, and then that person turned into someone else, I would be like, well, where's that other person? that I've like been a longstanding friend of for so long. I miss that person. And there's never a concern. It's like, just because they have the same name, that doesn't mean they're the same person. Um, so I thought that that was, I, I have a problem with that in lots of stories. Um, so that was another case here. And I think to your point, Darren, um, the way that the Flash movie ended, I thought was really unfortunate because um, in my opinion, the most, the most important scene or the most important shot in your movie is the very last shot because that's the shot that you're going to leave the theater with. That's the, what the audience is going to take with them. And if I remember correctly, the last shot, not the post-credit sequence, but the, even though that's bad enough, the last shot of the movie is Barry, it's a close-up of Barry's face and his tooth falls out. And I thought, oh my gosh, you've gone through this whole thing trying to be so dramatic about flashpoint and crisis and the world's colliding and then the very end of the movie is a joke and uh i thought that i I understand that they were trying to do more lighthearted stuff but if you want to have that big dramatic tension really lean into it and make me care about these consequences so i i felt like that was really unfortunate that that's how how we left the theater uh i think uh, one of the things that as far as like, as far as like with George Clooney and whatever, it's it's hard, it's hard to say what they had planned as far as Batman in the regular ongoing DC universe because there's like there's there's the Batman movies they're still doing, there's the Joker, so he already got at least two different outlets 
Um, so if you were just going to have like a quick gag to have replace the actor it, it, that they're not really planning on doing anything with that, it, I don't have a problem with that. But then you take someone like Aquaman, they had established his guy. They took him from where he was prior to, to Justice League and now just put him back there. He's like he's like the king of the ocean and everything. He's like the king of like several different underwater oceans. And now he's just going back to being a, a drunk guy. <laughs> so, uh, I, I just I don't even know how that's going to tie into Aquaman 2. It, it just seems like they just didn't care about it. Well, right now I'd say it's a coin flip whether we actually get Aquaman too. They're in their like, what, A3 shoots? Um, but that's kind of, it's the same with this movie. It, it was snake bit. Um, we had three or four directors. Uh, I don't know how many scripts. Um, obviously personal controversies. And so it was the implosion of the DCEU as a whole. So this, this movie ended pretty much like how it was made. And I think it's very telling, and this might go to your point uh, about whether or not this was a Flash movie. We've been up here talking about a, a Flash movie, the first Flash movie for nearly an hour, and Iris West hasn't admission once, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, she had two scenes in the entire movie. And that's, I, I don't know. I mean, I just think that uh, it just ended with so much potential that it never rose up to. And that's probably the biggest thing we're going to take away from this. Anybody in the audience have any questions or comments? Catwoman in the back. Hi, thank you so much for um, this panel. I really enjoyed it. I'm sorry I couldn't catch the beginning part. Um, but to your point in terms of the way that they portrayed uh, Barry, I like the Pauly Shore definition because now that you mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, that is Pauly Shore. But do you think that they were trying to him as emotionally stilted because when I was watching him I kind of thought that he was on the spectrum in a way you know and I don't know how much of the trauma of seeing his mom die and feeling the guilt kind of do that but I don't think that was executed well so I want to hear you all's um, opinion of it and what do you all think about DC trying to imitate Marvel and always falling flat. Because if you think about Thor and his descent, maybe that's what they were trying to do with Aquaman. I don't know. Your thoughts, please. Go ahead. I think the biggest problem is greed. And the two biggest problems are greed and impatience. This company saw this company doing something and wanted to duplicate it because they wanted lots and lots of money. But it's kind of like seeing somebody 20 years into their writing career sell 10 million books and go, I want to do that. Like, no, you have to write the 19 books before that book if you want to be, and if you want to be Brandon Sanderson, you have to do the work. You don't get to suddenly go, hi, I'm suddenly Brandon Sanderson. That's not that's not how the universe works. And, and someone said bottom up versus top down. A bottom-up approach in movies is what works because comic books, I've, I've always said comic books actually don't make really good movies because comic books take place month to month for years, for decades. Whenever you finally drop Gwen Stacy off a bridge and she dies, or whenever you kill Tony Stark in the 40,000 Marvel movie, every the entire world kind of felt it when Tony Stark died. They literally killed Superman four hours into Henry Cavill's reign as Superman, and I'm like, you don't get to skip to the good part. That's not how this works. So that's my general talk. Um, well, I just wanted to address your point. I think it's a really cool read that he might have been on the oh, spectrum. Oh no, uh, I, I I never thought about that, but I think it's 
totally possible that an alternate timeline Barry could have been like that. He also, I think, was kind of young. I want to say he was maybe 18, 19, so he was probably still in that kind of early college phase where you think you're smart and you're not really because you haven't had a lot of life experience. Um, so that's probably part of it, too. Um, to, to your point, um, if you look at the box office from Man of Steel up through probably Aquaman, there were the numbers were going up. You know, whether you loved or hated the DCEU, there was an audience that was growing and it was growing and it was growing. And then all of a sudden you switch it and you say, we're going to we're going to stop doing what we're doing. We're going to try to be somebody else. And then you crap all over your audience and call them all sorts of names and things like that. People are the, the goodwill is let, you know, you lose all the goodwill with your audience. And so I think that that's, in my opinion, what happened. So um, I think if they wanted to go the green read route they should have kept following where the money was going um doing but fine yeah uh i kind of think with the, the them following marvel marvel had a plan from like pretty much iron man one to uh avengers endgame and most of the ones after that have been kind of lukewarm it's like the the ant-man film which was ant-man 3 which was supposed to set up this whole new uh, villain, whole new story arc, and everything. It's like, well, we have to defeat this one guy, but then it ties into another show where there's like another version of this guy. So it really doesn't matter whether or not either of those two versions of that guy lives. So it's it, they're just going to keep going on with whatever shoveled up storyline they could come up with. So as far as with comparing that with DC, I think that that was kind of the same thing. They were trying to maybe make this be a leap into a new timeline or new continuity, but it's 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 hard to say how it's going to go from there. Uh, I also got the, the feeling that I don't know if it was Ezra, his, the, the way Ezra acts, or if it was direction. But I also got the impression that they were hinting that you know he was might be a little uh, neurodivergent. Um, it, but at the same time, they also played it off like it might just be he's just Barry's just impatient because he's living a world super fast and no one's uh, on his level. You know the, the whole coffee house scene and everything like that. But then you get that same. Uh, feeling from younger Barry, from Polly Shoreberry, to the to the extent where even older Barry is like, "Am I really this annoying?" <laughs> you know, and, and so I I think they were just kind of playing it safe. It's like, yeah, this is there if you want to interpret it like that. And it's not if you just want to think he's a you know twenty eight year old virgin, you know, um, by self admission. You know, so it's just I, I think it's just there for audience interpretation. All right. So unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you very much uh, for my panel for, for doing this. It was an excellent, excellent hour, and I absolutely loved it. Ryan and everybody else will work down the table. What else are you guys doing at DragonCon this year? Uh, basically, I'm just going to try and survive. Um, I don't think I'm on any more panels. However, I will most likely be in this room or in the next room. Uh, again, I am on a podcast called The 42 Podcast, where we talk about all things nerdy that you can check out. Hey, I'll be here uh, the con uh Today, all, pretty much all today and tomorrow, I've got a panel uh, tomorrow afternoon up in the uh, the the, com the comic book panel section about Bronze Age comics, um, and I'm still printing out stuff. You can pick up one of my cards right here for a link tree. So, yeah, uh, thanks for, uh, for coming, everybody. Uh, my name is Rebecca Johnson. Just uh, once again, uh, I'm a co-host of a podcast called Supergirl Radio. So you can check us out on the socials and uh, on YouTube. I also have a YouTube, a personal YouTube channel, uh, YouTube.com/slash/DuckMilkPride, D-U-C-K-M-I-L-K-P-R-O-D, um, where I talk about the DC films and uh, Zack Snyder, Snyderverse stuff in general. So if you're interested in that, uh, come hang out with me.
Darren Kennedy. I'm doing a panel in 28 minutes in the Weston about psychics and urban fantasy, which I write about. If you want to hear me talk about something that I absolutely love with my entire heart, I'll be doing Stargirl in the room next door at seven o'clock tonight. And sorry, my 52 year old eyes are kind of like, rrr, rrr. and then I'm talking Shazam Fury of the Gods tomorrow and DarrenKennedy.com if you want to check out my books. And thank you for coming out on Sunday. Woo. Thank you. Yep. McGurk! I love not piping. mess with my Google Docs, Meek. See, Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? It's becoming a human burrito, a plus or a minus. I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because <laughs> she looks like a boss in this show. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther? It's not just Lena being mean? No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. It's so fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Supergirl Radio.